As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. This morning, I'm going to start a series called Family Matters. We're going to use Ephesians 4. It's an incredible passage that Paul has written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written to us, the church, written to us to tell us that this is who we are. Because he's beautiful, we can be beautiful. Because what he has done, we can be accepted and loved and filled with the Spirit. But he also tells us in Ephesians 4 what we're supposed to do as a family, what it looks like, what it means to be the church, to be God's family. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, but we're going to begin with a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'd like to have you respond. Now, a lot of mornings, I love to have participation where you raise your hand. This is not one of those mornings, okay? This is uh, one of those mornings where you might embarrass some people around you or family members if you raised your hand. So I'm going to ask you to answer the question truthfully, just kind of in your heart, maybe a little nod, just, yep, I know that, uh, and we'll go from there. Is it a deal? So you're raising your hands? Not this time. We're Presbyterians. We don't raise our hands. What's the matter with you? All right. First question is this. How many of you or how many of us, how many of you to come from a dysfunctional family? You can picture it in your mind's eye, can't you? There's a lot of pictures, a lot of hands up right now in your mind's eye saying, oh, that's me. Uh, how many of you now right now would say you're still involved in a dysfunctional family? Really, the question I really want to know, married folks, how many of you married folks would say that your spouse's family is dysfunctional? I mean, come on. I bet you it was almost universal. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Except for my family, of course. They're here, and they're far from dysfunctional as far as you know. All right. Let's get a little closer to home. It's hard to get closer to home than that. How many of y'all have been a part of a dysfunctional church family? How many of y'all think you're in one right now? Stop that. It's not that bad. It's getting better, all right? So, uh, but truthfully, sadly... Many of us can say, yeah, I know what it's like to be a part of dysfunction. I'm a broken sinner. I'm surrounded by broken sinners. And just our family units, that's those that we hold dear to us, our, our, our nuclear families, our church families, they seem to breed dysfunction. But God is calling us to something else. He's calling us as his family to be beautiful and function in a way that brings him honor and glory. If you've been hanging around Orangewood, you know that we've been on this kick uh, for the last several weeks. Really, the last several months, we've been focusing on the kingdom of God. We've been focusing on that which Jesus himself has ushered in. When he says that it is present with his ministry. That which he tells us to seek first and to give first to. And now we turn the corner and we're never going to leave that focus of the kingdom. Because that's going to be preeminent in all that we do. But now we're going to turn to the church, and it's a beautiful linkage, really, between the kingdom of God and the church. Because the Westminster Confession of Faith, that is our doctrinal standard, is this church. It says that the church is the kingdom of God. That we are the visible kingdom. We are, have you heard this before, Orangewood? We are the A-plan. We are God's family. We are the primary vehicle, the church, that God is using and will use to advance his kingdom, we are what he's primarily going to use to bring that invisible kingdom and make it visible. And really it's the church that is 
the kingdom that we can see. It's that visible kingdom of God that is present right here. So for us to focus on the church on the heels of focusing on the kingdom makes perfect sense. But let me begin. This is, this is so important. Church is so important to God. And because it's so important to Jesus that he says, I will shed my blood to purchase her. I'm going to love her so much. She's going to be my radiant bride that we need to love what God loves. We need to love and respect and cherish what Jesus loves and cherishes and purchases and purifies. We need to love and cherish that which the Spirit fills and draws to himself. We need to be reminded over and over and over again, my brothers and sisters in Christ, good news. We are part of the church and we are loved. And unbelievably, we are that A plan of God advancing his kingdom. We are called in the Greek, the New Testament, the church is called the ecclesia. Uh, say that with me, ecclesia. That's exactly how I got through Greek too. Okay, good. So now you learn something. But really, even the word church in the Greek means called out. Called out. Those that God has given breath to. He's given breath to all of creation. But for a mystery that only he knows, before time began, God set his love upon his church. He set his love upon his own. So much love that would be set on us. That while we were still sinners, Jesus would come to rescue us. And to make us beautiful and whole. And so much love that the Father and the Son have for us. That the Spirit would come and, and, and purify us and, and unite us to Christ. We are the called out ones of all of God's creation. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit has called us to be His. He's called us to be His family. And just us. All of creation he owns. All of creation owes to him uh, their praise and honor because he is creator. He is God. But for us, he has made us family. Not only has he made us family, he wants us to be his functional family in the world. He has called us. He has purified us. He's empowered us through the Spirit so that we can be unified together so that we can be a functional family. And drive away dysfunction because we represent him. You ready to start singing? We are family. All right, we're going to get that. We're going to start with uh, Ephesians 4. We're going to look to verses 1 through 6 as Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these incredible words describing who we are in Christ Jesus, united in the Father through the Spirit. And as a sign of respect for God's holy and errant word, will you stand with me and let's read God's word together if you're able? Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. In prison, Paul writes these words. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Or if you have the NIV, it says live in a manner. And really, that's that walking in a manner. It's how God describes our Christian life. We should walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You hear that word calling, calling, that's who we are. The church, those who have been called. How are we to do it? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one spirit 
Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Let us pray. And Father, we're here because you have called us. And right there, we could just stop and say, that is just a marvelous, amazing grace that a holy, perfect God would call. And Father, you did more than call. You sent your son to rescue. and You've given us your spirit so we can hear that call. You've given us a heart to embrace that call. You've given us ears to hear that call. So here we are. Here we are, those of us who by your grace have acknowledged Jesus as Lord. Those of us who have been united together by one faith, one baptism. Here we are as your family. And God, what is abundantly clear is we need to hear from Daddy. We need to hear from Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, I don't have words or the ability or the gifts to speak in a way that your family needs to hear. Only you can do that. And I acknowledge that I'm a broken instrument. I'm so pleased that you've chosen to speak through instruments like me. And God, do it today. Father, speak. Speak to your children so we understand. Spirit, open up our ears to hear the voice of our shepherd. Spirit, illumine our minds so that we can understand your word and what you have for us. Oh, triune God, empower our feet so that we can do as Paul is calling us to do, walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And God, we acknowledge that we have been dysfunctional. Father, we acknowledge that apart from you and your spirit, we will always be dysfunctional. Father, I acknowledge that how desperately I need you in the midst of my dysfunction. So the things that I say that are my opinion are the wrong, may they just fall away and be forgotten. But God, because we're your family, speak and make us more like Jesus. We pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. It was May 6th, 2002. And it was an operation called Operation Anaconda over Afghanistan. And it was on May 6, 2002, that a Navy SEAL fell from his helicopter into the Afghan mountains and was quickly dragged away by enemy forces. Probably died at impact. But there they saw their comrade being dragged away and they began what was to be a 12-hour pursuit for the body of their fallen comrade, battling enemy soldiers every step of the way. Eventually it would cost six Americans their lives. Twelve others were wounded. Also, they could bring back the body of one comrade who has fallen. Leave no man behind. That was the motto. That was the motto of the armed forces. That is, and that was the motto of this operation, leave no one man behind. And really that motto was challenged when you realize that this one man had already fallen out of the airplane, already had died on impact. Why go get him? 
Why sacrifice so much American blood on foreign soil for one who is dead? The commanding officer was quoted as saying when questioned about the validity of such a, a, a raid going back into enemy territory, he says this. It's a code of ethics. It's a way of life. It's a part of the culture of being in the military that you are a cohesive unit and you don't leave anyone behind. We, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a commanding officer and his name is Jesus. And he too has a code of ethics for which he wants us to lead because we're more than a cohesive unit. We are his family We are his bride. We are his church. We're the reflection of his glory here on earth. We are his A-plan. And because of that, he was willing to sacrifice his son to make it happen. Give us his spirit to empower us. And he says, because of who you are, now you also have a code of ethics. And he too says, we're not going to let anyone fall behind. We are not going to leave anyone behind. Woman, man, child, it is our call as the church to make sure that we are loving one another, unifying ourselves in Christ, being a real family, functional, moving forward for his glory. How was your week this week? It was like mine. It was probably a a busy week. It's amazing how busy our lives are. And it's times like this where you, what do you do with a funeral in a week like this? It just... Somehow it doesn't seem to fit, but you got to make it fit when those you know and love pass away. And this week I was at a funeral of a 44-year-old Christian man who, who died uh, leaving two small children. The funeral and the outpouring of love and the testimony of Jesus and the life we have in Christ was over at the United uh, Methodist Church in Winter Park. And one of our very own members, one of his very close friends, gave a eulogy. And a beautiful eulogy telling about the love of this man and his family, but most importantly, telling the love this man had for Jesus and the hope that we have in this life and the life to come. And he said something interesting. He said, you know, that we are, each one of us has a family. Every single one of us here has a family. You have a biological family. If not, you have a lot of explaining to do. But we do. do. Each one of us has a family that we're born into. And yet, we also have a family, a broader family, that we choose, a family of friends, a family of those we say, we're going to journey through life together. And I realize it's true. You know, we we do have families that we we do choose, some biological, uh, some that we just say these are are our choosing. But it made me realize God is the one who chooses his family. It's God who chooses, and because it's God who chooses, it's God who has every right to, who calls us to tell us how we are to live as his own, who calls us to himself as I have chosen you to shine for me. And now I want you to work really, really hard as my children that I have shed my son's blood to gather you to keep the purity and the unity of the family. God is saying this. Listen, there's a code of conduct here because you are mine because I chose you before time began. Mystery of all mysteries. Because you are mine, because you reflect who I am, because you are family, we can't be dysfunctional. And because we can't be dysfunctional, there's got to be a code of conduct. And there's got to be 
a zealous pursuit on our parts to maintain that conduct and the purity of the church. Look at verse 3. This is what Paul says, that we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That we need to be willing to even go to painstakes. That we need to zealously pursue the unity and purity of the church. Here's what God's selling to us today. We are family and we got to be unified. And naturally because we are dysfunctional and naturally because we are sinners and naturally because we want our own ways, we have a tendency to splinter. We have a tendency to not be unified. And because of that, and God knows us, he says, I've made you beautiful. I've united you in Christ. I've given you one spirit. But now, my family, my brothers and sisters, here's what you got to do. You got to be eager, zealous, willing to go to pain, to maintain the unity of the church and the beauty of the bride. Listen to that challenge. I mean, most of us sit through church and and don't realize this incredible call that God has given us to pursue this unity, to pursue this beauty. And, And often through our lives and our actions, instead of bringing unity to the bride of Christ, we're bringing more and more dysfunction. And God is saying, no, Be zealous, my brothers and sisters. Are you zealous for our unity? Are you zealous for our beauty? Are you zealous for our purity? Dysfunction still reigns. Just this week, in one of our flagship PCA churches in Memphis, uh, the senior pastor resigned. Interestingly, the senior pastor uh, was one time a member of this church while he went to Reform Theological Seminary. And he got, uh, he was recently called, within a year was called to this pulpit, uh, this highly respected and known church in Memphis, and he didn't make it. For those of you who remember and know Ted Mattis, that's the church Ted is in right now. And he wrote a letter, and I saw a copy of the letter he wrote to the congregation. And it was a nice letter. It's a letter that, you know, you guys have read if you've been around here before. But it basically said, the leadership just couldn't be unified. I thought, you know, there's so much to divide us. But because of the call of Christ, each one of us, beginning with your leaders, but beginning with every single member, we need to strive for the unity of this church. We got to be, first point is this, we got to be the balance of our call and our conduct. Look again at verse one. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is saying you have been called to such an incredible position. The position that we have in Christ That sinners like us have been made joint heirs with Jesus. Sinners like us have been made children of God. God has lavished the love upon us. And that is who we are. We're his children. Positionally, that will never change. Let that just sink in for a minute. God demonstrates his unbelievable grace and mercy to us. Lavishing a love upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are positionally. Let me tell you some more good news. God will never change his mind about us. His blood was sufficient for all of our sins. He'll never remove the Holy Spirit from us. But now what Paul is saying is this. You have this incredible prestigious calling. You have this incredible place in God's eyes. You are the A plan. You are God's uh, a family. Now may your conduct live up to your calling. Now may your profession and practice Be the same. Let me tell you, we never have to work to earn God's love. It's it's, it's by God's grace. 
But because of what he has done for us, he says, now you've got to walk in a manner that really is worthy, that does speak my name. This word worthy is, is, is really, it's kind of like a balancing, an axis. It's a, it's a balancing where it's saying, you've got this incredible calling, and I want you to be so beautiful in the world's eyes. I want them to see my beauty through you, and I want you to have this through your actions, through how the way you love one another. I mean, really love one another when we're not lovable. The way you love this community. The way you realize saying, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. With all the broken parts, I'm still his. The way we just go about church saying that, God, we're here for you. That we really want that the ambassadors you've made us, we want to be ambassadors that talk about your beauty. That talk about uh, your worth in a way that's winsome. My brothers and sisters in Christ, what what an incredible privilege we have to be God's family. And may we live our lives in a worthy manner. And here it is. Being winsome. Being broken sinners who need Jesus. Isn't that good news? We don't need to be Jesus. We need to be broken sinners that have been loved by Jesus. Embrace him as Savior. And now walk in a manner with, with a limp. Needing this Savior every step of the way. Needing his blood to wash us still. But say, God, we want to live up to family. God, we don't want to bring dysfunction to your family. Would you continue to forgive us and purify us and make us whole? We see he's saying that all this family matters begins with unity. And there's five keys to unity in the church that are seen in verse 2. And look at verse 2 again with me. He says this, Walk in a manner worthy of what we've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Here are these five keys, my brothers and sisters, for us from keeping being dysfunctional and for us to maintain the unity of the church that God is calling us to do. The first one is this, is humility. Humility very easily is not seeking our own interests or agendas. God is calling each and every one of us to have a humble spirit. I love Philippians 2, verses 3 and following. It says this. It says that each of us should do nothing, not one thing, not one thing. Each of us should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here is Jesus Christ himself saying to us that each of us should do nothing out of vain conceit and selfish ambition. But each of us in humility, in humility, should consider others' interests more important than our own. This is what this is saying to us. That as we gather in here as as his family, we should be looking to one another, to your interest over my interest, to really build up our family above our own agendas. That we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, truly loving one another in Christ's name. Each of us should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Each of us, because we are family, we look to big brother, our Savior, have his attitude. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he would empty himself of all but love. He'd be taking on the form of a servant becoming man and loving us to the point of even death. Therefore, that should be our attitude, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for us to be the God's family he wants us to be and not to be dysfunctional. It begins with us being humble. Humble before one another. And I know, I know, listen, it starts with your leaders. It does. It starts with us. Realizing, God, I'm a broken sinner and how much I need Jesus. And when you see me getting puffed up or you see your elders or your pastors getting puffed up, pray for us. Say, God, humble them. 
We need humble leaders because Jesus Christ has called us and he's shown us what it means to be humble. To maintain the unity of the church, it begins with humility, but then it goes to gentleness. And the definition of gentleness is this. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of oneself's importance. That's really good. Listen to it again. Gentleness, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It's basically saying this, Orangewood, this is so important. We are more important than I. We are more important than I. It's not about our own self-importance. It's about the beauty of the bride of Christ. It's about looking at one another and lifting one another up about seeing how much we need each other. Write this down, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Go back and look at 1 Corinthians 12. It's, it's uh, what Paul says about the body and how God gives each one uh, unique gifts. But you know what I love about it? It says this. It said, God himself is the one who has gifted you. And God himself is the one who has placed you in this family. God himself is the one who has made you a part of his family and placed you here. And you ready for this? He says the parts that seem lesser, the parts that seem indispensable, are indispensable. So each and every one of you, Bill, we need you. We need you. Dave, we need you. Charlotte, we need you. You're absolutely indispensable to Jesus. I mean, to be a part of the bride of Christ, you are absolutely, Pat, indispensable. Rich, even athletic directors are indispensable, for goodness sakes. We really do need you. Nice beard. Very nice. Uh, we, we need you all. Sandsborns, how you been? You're a precious part of the bride of Christ. God has uniquely gifted you. We need you. We need you, all, all of you. God has called us to be family. You're here feeling like you don't have the right gifts. You don't have the right abilities. For us to be all that we are called to be, we got to realize it's we, not I. Does it make sense? Every single one of us. We all need Robert, don't we? What we do without him? John, we need you. This gentleness that God is calling to us is this. In humility, we realize we've got to love one another, that every single aspect of the body of Christ is important. In, gen- in gentleness, it's not about our self-importance. Thirdly, it's patience. And here's what it means with patience. Reluctance to avenge wrong. Reluctance to avenge wrongs. This is difficult because, you know, even as a church, God has called us to maintain the purity of the church. As a matter of fact, for all of you who have joined Orangewood, you have taken the vow that you will do everything you can to maintain the peace and the purity of the church. And so, therefore, your elders and your, and your, your pastors have a very difficult task, and that is that saying, we've got to deal with sin. God doesn't just wink at sin. We have to deal with sin as well. But we do it in a way that honors him and loves sinners because guess what? We're all sinners. Am I a work in progress? <laughs> you know I am. You know I'm a work in progress, and so are you. We're not home yet, and some amazing miracle about what Jesus can do is we can be perfect in God's eyes in Christ, and yet we're still a mess getting better. And the reality is, is we believe the gospel, saying Jesus' blood was sufficient, he's going to get us home, but we're all works in progress. And we've got to be patient with one another. And sometimes I'm not very patient with you. I've got to tell you the truth. I have a personality trait and many flawed traits, but this is another one, where I have a tendency to move away from those who aren't working or that's what's not working. I have a tendency to say, I'm no longer patient. They're not getting it. Let me move on to greener pastures. 
You know where I'd be if Jesus thought that about me? So he says to us, we're family. We gotta be humble and gentle and patient. Love one another right where you are. Deal with sin, but love with a sinner in a way that shows patience and love. Jesus says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's one of those verses where you always have to quote the King James, isn't it? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I don't even know how to say it other than the King James. But vengeance is his. And we got to look to him and say, God, I'm going to leave things like this to you um, and, and be patient with one another. When I'm not patient with you, will you please forgive me? Bearing with one another. You know what this really means? Holding one another up. It really does. It means holding him up. God is calling us, picture it, to prop one another up. God is calling us not to leave anyone behind. God is calling us to cherish one another. God is calling us to link arms and say we are family. And when one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And I want you to know, I do, I love you. But I can't hold all of you up. We we need to lock arms together. The leaders need to lock arms and, and lock arms with you. We truly need one another. We cannot leave any man, woman, or child behind because we're family. We're his family. And the commander has told us this is our code of ethic. Bear one another's burdens. Lift one another up. Love one another. And that's the last one. Love. John 13, 4, at the end of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John, Jesus says these amazing words to his disciples and to us. A new commandment, something brand new that I give to you. A new commandment I have for you, fellas. Love one another. Love one another. New commandment. Just as I have loved you, we are to love one another. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, how has Jesus loved you? you with humility with gentleness with patience bearing with one another we were family it cost them Jesus' life and we are to love one another we are to love what God loves and Jesus loves the church and he loves us We are to keep pure that which Jesus has made pure. And he's purified the church. And his spirit continues to purify us. And we need to work hard zealously, zealously, even when it comes to painstaking effort, pursue the unity of the church. Not just my job. Not just the elder's job. Not just the deacon's job. Not just the women's leader's job. Our job. Each and every one of you seek the purity and the unity of the church. Why? Because we are one. Why? Because of what great things God has done for us. Listen, look at verses four through six. There is one body. We are one. We are one. Many pieces, but we are one. In one spirit, the spirit of God unites us. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. We have the hope. We have a hope of eternal life. We have the hope that we're going to see him as family face to face. We have the hope for tomorrow because he lives. This living hope is ours and only ours as his family. 
We have one Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. One faith that God has given us in that one Lord. One baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God and Father of all who is over all. He's transcendent. He is over all of it. He's God Almighty. But there's even more. He is through all. He's omnipresent. God is everywhere and incredibly and in all. God is imminent and He's with us as family. Oh, the unity of being one. And God has called us to pursue that unity. This is a busy month um, for us here at Orangewood. You're going to be hearing a lot of um, information about where we are going, what we're doing. You've gotten some information even the last fall. And uh, let me just tell you that I know and I feel the weight of the importance of just dealing with you as family. To say, I love you. I, I love help leading this charge. I love what God is doing in this church. This is going to be a busy month for us with family matters. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of family matters. Some new buildings uh, here in the near future, Lord willing. And, and all that that means. And I promise that I will do my best to bring unity and truthfulness to each one of you. And say, this is where we are. And this is where we're going. This is for the beauty of Christ, and and we're on our knees, and let's go forward together, because we are moving forward, and the only way we'll do it in a way that it brings Jesus glory is not to do it dysfunctionally. You see, during Operation Anaconda, uh, Americans shed their blood to bring back the body of a fellow comrade. Jesus, during Operation Rescue of families, my family, during Operation Rescue of Sinners Like Us, God shed his blood to bring home fallen comrades like us, but not to bring us home dead, but to bring us home alive. To bring us home alive is his and his family. And this meal, this one bread and this one cup is a declaration to each other and to this world that our king, our comrade died. He shed his blood. But he did it so that we could be one, so that we could be family, so that we could be functional, so that we could be his, so that we could be the A plan advancing his kingdom, so that we can have unity in Christ Jesus our Lord through one faith, through one baptism and through one meal. As the worship band comes forward, let me encourage you to prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts to go to this table acknowledging that we are dysfunctional and it's because of this meal that we can embrace Christ as Savior. This meal is so important. Listen, this meal is so important that if right now if there's not unity between you and God, don't take this meal until you have come clean. And you run to Jesus and say, forgive me. Or if there's some dysfunction between the two of you. Do business with God. Because we are his family. He's called to be unified in Christ Jesus. Isn't it great being his family? Let's shine for him. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the incredible joy that we have of the calling to be followers of Christ, the calling to be the bride of Christ, the calling to be your family. God, the calling that you have given to us cost us your son's life. 
And you've still not only just given us your son, his righteousness and blood, but you've given us your spirit to draw us to yourself and to remind us of who we are. Oh, our triune God, you truly have purified us and made us one. And God, I pray that through this meal, that you would unify us in Christ and make us beautiful in your sight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.